we do have the freedom to schedule a little more smartly or, or, Hey, how do we want to schedule ourselves too and be available because they will come right now, which is 10 years ago during the recession was not the, <laughs> was not the right. case. It's like, Hey, when can I be available to clients? Buying and running one practice takes time. And then he jumped into two. Welcome to a brand new episode of the Veterinary Business Success Show, a part of the VetX Leaders Community Online. In each episode, we explore ideas and subjects you can use to manage your veterinary practice better and be a better leader. I'm your resident asker of questions, Brendan Howard, and today the entrepreneurial practice owner is Dr. Andy Rolo, co-owner of Walnut Lake Animal Hospital and Madison Veterinary Hospital, both in the suburbs of Detroit. Andy worried about how much time finally buying a practice would be, but then two opportunities bubbled up at once. This is his story of what that looked like as the strange pandemic year shook up plans, squeezed already rough hiring problems, and affected his and his team members' lives. But let's start with Andy's road to practice ownership. I was a graduate of veterinary school at 25, so I was on the younger side and certainly had a lot to learn. And so certainly ownership was something, it was so permanent then and scary in a lot of ways. And okay. I never took a business class <laughs> to save my life. So I was very happy at very progressive multi-doctor practices in, in the medicine and in the skills I was developing. But I think around the age of 35, got that itch a little bit to say, okay, I'm having a family now, more stability and looking into that possibility. It was scary as well, too, just trying to find that work-life balance and always feeling if I took on ownership, would I be depleting the family side of things, too? So I was in a practice that it was a family practice, so mm -hmm. it didn't seem like there was an opportunity for me to become an owner, but things changed within the family that the son had moved on to pursue other interests across the state. And so... I thought there might be an opportunity, but the owner still wasn't ready to sell. So then I met someone who had bought his first practice and we became friends and he was very hungry and, and looked at me as someone kind of gave me encouragement and said, this is something you should do too. And then a very small practice, just three miles from where I lived, became available. And uh, I mean, one that really, it wasn't worth anything. It just someone she kind of hung a sign, but her husband had taken, was taking her away, but there was potential there. So me and my friend decided to do it together. And then he was building his second practice and said, Hey, then you can, you know, we'll do this together. And then you help me open up this new practice. So when I put in my notice with my boss, he didn't even take a breath. He just said, well, Andy, I want to sell. <laughs> I was like, oh, now, now, you know, Three months ago, we had this talk and you didn't feel that way. But, you know, all of a sudden I say, well, you know, thank you, but I'm out the door. Things change. So, so tell my wife, she just said, why don't you do both? So I, I didn't help my friend open his new practice, but we did buy the small one. And were they and all affiliated? So did you, what, did it become like a mini They're chain? not. Okay. So the complication of that is the family practice, another associate who came in a few years after me, we, we worked very well together. And we always said, boy, it would be so fun if we could run this place, but it, it'll never happen, right? Sure. Or even to buy, you can't, something we could afford, it wouldn't be, it would be a one doctor practice. It couldn't afford to have us both. But 
and I'll admit she is more popular. I'm, I'm popular, but she's more popular than me. <laughs> so if I was like, if I'm going to buy the bigger practice, I need her on board. And I knew she had interest too. She and her husband had been looking at practices as well. So um, we um, went, uh, did it together. So I kind of had two spouses at once, including my spouse at home. So all within a year, I went from no ownership to owning two practices with two different partners. So, so they really can't be affiliated, just, you know, different businesses, slightly different interests. And okay. so, so that's how it worked out. So that was four years ago now. Uh, so yeah, I've been at it for four years and certainly the time has amounted, especially all of a sudden working in two practices. So as hard as to find people and the demands that all of us have found, I almost felt if I'm not at one, I got to run to the other. And uh, that's kind of been my last four years. So this year's the goal is to try to create a little more time again for myself and my family. If you were worried, so thinking about the things that kind of hold people back from buying or starting a practice, if, if you were really worried about, I don't know how this is going to impact on my personal life and then how that's all going to balance out. And then you kind of like these two perfect opportunities right near you came up. And so you kind of felt like you had to kind of jump on both of them. Was it now four years in, was it as bad and as busy and stressful as you thought? Or did you learn you have like some other gear in your shift box or Right. I think I found I had another gear. Okay. Exactly. Yeah. I just, you just, you kind of step up, right. And you just do what you have to do. I mean, but the bigger practice, I, there's loans and money, but also there's a, a feeling of, it is a proud feeling of accomplishment and, and it's good, you know, but it is finding that balance as well too. And I think what hit me the hardest was my youngest, my eight-year-old, in the fall, this past fall, a yeah. little paper of what do I want to do when I grow up? And she wanted to be a vet. I'm reading it. She wanted to be a veterinarian. And that's great. You know, wow, you want to do what your dad wants to do. Uh, and she had three reasons. One is I want to make a lot of money. I'm like, okay, I know. <laughs> <laughs> Interesting. She had that take. She goes, you know, two, I love dogs. And three, there's lots of candy there. <laughs> mm. But then she put in parentheses, but my dad's always gone at work. And that really hit me hard, you know, hearing that. So I'm like, okay, I really, you know, I have, um, my oldest is going to high school next year. And then that time, you know, I'm all of a sudden like, wow, time is going by very quickly here. And uh, I need to realign things a little better right now. So many people who maybe had plans at the end of 2019, and I literally talked to people that they had business plans, they had all these things, everything got warped by COVID. And so this vision, I mean, do you feel like it's more possible or less possible after these two years of this very strange working time that it's more possible that you could start to carve out a different life pie or does it, so does it feel more possible, less possible? How do you feel right now? I feel a little bit mixed because the demand has picked up even more. So we were busy, okay. but now it's just crazy. And I do a lot of dental work and right now, you know, if I, I could see a pet that, you know, is having a hard time eating or really could use a procedure and probably they go up front the reception is like, how about September? And uh, I don't like that, you know, right. but it is what it is right now too. So part of me wants to serve the clients we have and the demands and you know, this is why I did this and I want to help. On the other side of things though, 
we're not going to work from home. I mean, I know a lot of friends who's, you know, the, their whole paradigm has shifted. But yeah. at the bigger practice, we used to be open till four on Saturdays. It's now two. You know, just practice manager just said, probably going to say no, but, you know, I'm throwing that out there. The staff would love it. And you got to invest in your staff and give them something right now, as hard as they've worked. And all the angry people out there and they they take it 20 times more than I do. And I know that. And so, OK, well, it's yeah, you know, little things like that. And then my smaller practice, it just uh, it initially started with a lack last summer, purely a lack of staffing. Like we have to drop a day. We do not have enough people. Okay. And uh, Saturday there was still the least busiest day. So, all right, let's drop Saturday. And the numbers didn't change. So it's like, well, why are we working on Saturdays there? Right. And, and for me, it was if I wasn't in one on a Saturday, I have to be at the other. So my weekends really were always spoken for. So little things like that have helped, you know, where the, the Ace Hardware next door to the small practice, they because of COVID closed at five. And it's an area where a lot of people are, I think, working from home and they that's permanent now, they said, you know, it used to be open to eight, but they're like, our staff likes leaving at five and we sell just as many shovels. And so, <laughs> you know, it's, you know, three years ago, you never would have thought of that, but right. um, little things like that. It's like, okay, can we still be productive, but still create more time? And, you know, you still get some people that are upset, but the most it's like, we have to think of ourselves and, and most clients get it. They do. You know, it's, it, it's a hard thing to argue. <laughs> Can right I, now, I am, so I am curious a little bit about that. So there's always, you know, there's kind of two ways, two major ways employees and bosses kind of manage their money. You know, you can manage your money, you can manage the time. If you close on Saturdays or you close a couple hours early, that means people get two hours less of money. Does anybody balk or say, do any of the doctors say, I need more, I need more production, I need more money, whatever. So does anybody complain when you cut back on the hours, basically, is what I'm asking? No, no. Okay, no nobody complains. Yeah. Yeah. And yes, the doctors are in production, but they're doing great. I mean, there's enough hours within the day. You know, I think, you know, when you're building a practice or how it used to be, you, you would stay open late or you had to be Saturday, even Sunday to be available, right? People, yeah. they're at work all day. So you're just twiddling your thumbs. You could go ahead and take a two-hour lunch because no one's coming in and you have to now be available when people come home. But now... That people are already home as it is and is, is the demand we have i mean it's easy to in my busy practice i mean we we do keep these slots we call them w slots open for the sick patients but they're already filled by 8 15 most days so if someone does call with the sick pet at 10 a.m and it's like all right i can make it work at 4 20 very rarely does someone say oh that doesn't work for me it's like take it or leave it and, and just about everyone takes it now we do have the freedom to schedule a little more smartly or, or, Hey, how do we want to schedule ourselves too and be available because they will come right now, which is 10 years ago during the recession was not the, was not the right. case. It's like, Hey, when can I be available to clients? Cause we're hurting. We're, we're looking. Yeah. But I remember the big word back in that big recession, there was a lot of worry about that. And generally, and people could see over the course of the recession, depending on where you were regionally, there were dips in demand, or maybe the down season was more down than usual. But then overall, now that we look back, now everybody says veterinary medicine recession proof because it weathered it way better than so many other sectors that got hammered during the recession. Yeah. 
But now, yeah, with this COVID thing, I remember people talking about it in February, March, April, thinking as some of the places got shut down, as they said, no spays, no non-essential procedures right. to be done, only emergencies, that there was like, uh-oh, we're going to, this is a problem, demand's going to go down. And then, you know, for whatever, it it did not. And so this weird thing, it turned for, as it, it slowed other people down, but uh, never really slowed these veterinary hospitals down. No, yeah, I mean, we were maybe down 5%. Yeah, in the state of Michigan, we had our restrictions. But yeah, looking, you know, it was scary. You know, yeah, everything was so new. I mean, even just showing up to work was scary, right? I mean, busy intersections at 5 o'clock in the afternoon and no one, just no one was out except me. And, uh, you know, are we going to get sick? Are we giving it to each other? But that was two months. You know, you look back two years right. now and it was two months. And like, I want to say June 1st, boom, the spigots. And it's just <laughs> been nonstop since, so... So talking about levers in a business. So, I mean, so we mentioned one, okay, what, you know, people are so busy during our regular hours, cutting off a little bit on the weekend, closing a little earlier, good for the staff. They love it. They just, they need more time. They don't need the extra hours of high intensity. They just, it gives them a break. So the other thing is you got so much demand. So hiring. So then obviously if you're you know, it's always that question of, ooh, when do we take on a new doctor? I feel like that's the big, big building a new facility. Will we have enough doctors to staff it? And then before you build a new facility or grow in any way in your facility, are we ready to move from one to two? Are we ready to move from two to three? So how do your decisions about associates, how are they happening at those two practices? For the smaller practice, I mean, we're pretty, it's a one-time equivalent. And, uh, okay. and that got really... And our full time, so my partner and me each would do a day or you know, I do a lot of echoes and dentals. He does a lot of orthopedics, TPLOs. So it's kind of us going in doing more of our niche. And then we had a full time doctor, but she gave us a notice in uh, October. And that was scary because it's like, uh oh, because there's just no one to hire. Right. And uh, you do the national ads and, and I got one response and you know, she came right in. It was a good interview. I liked her, but she had 10, 15 job offers and drove an hour and a half to see us. It's like, okay, well, <laughs> just, I don't know what I can do to right. top, certainly equivalent practices. And I'm sure a shorter drive for her. So she said no, but, um, luckily, uh, we were able to find someone who had stopped emergency and she wanted some better hours. This corporate practice to know. And, just my partner had a relationship with her and, and still she had many opportunities and just feel very, very fortunate because it was a month or two of me once again, even revving up. I'll do a half day here, then go here. I'll do this and, and just covering yeah. as best we could. And short term, that's OK. But like I said, you know, my my goal was I want to do the opposite. And now it's even getting worse. And that's kind of the buck stops with you, though, whereas the bigger practice is, is right now a four doctor equivalent. Very highly leveraged. We have over nine staff per doctor. Mm -hmm. So we're very, so we can see a lot. And that's just kind of that James Garner safari <laughs> hospital thing that was popular 20 years ago. Madison adopted that. And, and every hospital, I think, has kind of done their own niche. But, but we are, per doctor, very productive. But we have a lot more staff to be that way. So so that's the wrinkles. Oh, you know, certainly if we're booked out six months in dentals, we're booked out three more months for just wellness appointments. Obviously, we could use someone else. But it's not just a matter of even if we can get someone as hard as we need nine other staff to hire. And that in itself has been a challenge, right? And so 
you feel like you hire one or two and then someone else quits or moves on or leaves the profession. So really felt like we were treading water last year, maybe even falling behind a little bit. And as you mentioned, going back to the quality of life, the support staff was five days a week and they want to go to four. They didn't want to cut their hours. They just want to add two hours on, on four days. Okay. But doing that cut some shifts as well too, from the doctor's side of things. But once again, it's an employee market like no other, and we have to listen to them, you know? And so and as hard as they've worked, okay, we're going to do this. So it's been working now towards getting those nine other employees even set to try to bring on that fifth doctor. And, and there's a, a new graduate we're pretty close with, hopefully bring on, who's very, who I think will be very good. And once again, I think fortunate because I know she, I don't know how many, but I know she has a galore of job offers and, and I'm learning a lot because, <laughs> oh, they offered this amount or this bonus or this or that. And um, we tempted a fifth doctor right before COVID two years ago. And, you know, there's no instruction manual or, you know, that it's not posted. Hey, this is where things are at. But uh, right. given the corporation growth and this and that, boy, have things changed in two years. But things have changed in two years for veterinary medicine significantly. So I get it. Okay, so, I, so I'm learning I, a lot. <laughs> do you have people at the practice? I mean, if the idea is that we're all, everyone at this practice location is kind of serving the production of this doctor, it's really what it should be. It's all about the patient care, the client relations in that moment. Are there people at that larger practice? I feel like now we're entering this zone. You can see it in the corporations. Corporations have just figured out we need to be in perpetual hiring mode. So, you can see them starting up an engine. First, they just put out ads and they market. And then I suspect they're probably trying to figure out that's not enough. Now we need to find out where the pools of people we can find. Do you have people at your either practice who like that or devoted to like hiring and training in that way? Yes. Yes. Okay. It's not me. I'm, I'm not a good <laughs> technician or trainer. I'm a, the worst okay. receptionist in the world. So, but I do it, it both practices who are on the Indeeds and, and, and always, you know, kind of working that angle. But yeah, certainly, I mean, we don't want to have a revolving door either, right? right. I mean, that gets costly too. And, and I mean, we if, if we have a good employee, we want to keep them and invest in them. And, um, but yeah, luckily I do have staff that is pretty committed, but that's a challenging too, because as short staffed as we are, they keep getting pulled on the floor over and over again and not right. giving them the time that they need to train, to hire, to interview. So yeah, it's just, uh, yeah, treading water, it seems like. But I feel the last kind of fall on the last five, six months, we were gaining some steam where no one's leaving and, and as we're accumulating and, and, and a lot of these new employees are, are doing well and working out. So, so that's a good thing. But I certainly, you know, on the flip side, I know some practices on the, I've heard on the corporation side that they were four doctors and they're down to one or they were seven doctors and down to two. And I just don't know how that works. It seems like it's just collapsing on itself then. So you mentioned you had a grad. And so I thought, okay, if all the current market, all the people are eaten up or there's such competition, you can't find them. But then of course, every year there's a spillage, there's a, there's a new crop of grads, but do you feel like almost just like the regular job pool, if you or your people went looking for those grads that they, again, the number of offers that people are just being grabbed and pulled in so many different directions that that grad pool is instantly eaten up. Yes. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> and, and even before COVID, I mean, I remember 
in Michigan, you could go at the time, the Michigan Vet Conference was in January and, and I went to it. There were, you could interview with 20, 30, 40 different practices, but I'd say half of my class of hundred was doing that, you know, where there'd be 50 people. And even three, four years ago before COVID, you would go there and you might get one or two that would show up and even give you the time of day to find out a little bit about your practice. And it almost seemed like it's not worth the time or effort. And um, a lot of them, yeah, are just getting, you know, some of them are doing internships and residencies, which has always been the case, but a lot of them already you know, going back to the home practice or corporations, you know, I mean, there, there's some big carrots that they can dangle. I get that. So. Today's show is brought to you by Vetex International. Now, are people the major pain point in your practice? If so, you're not alone. Over 90% of managers report staff problems to be their number one issue. At the root of this problem are usually three dysfunctions. A poorly articulated vision, toxic culture, or some form of leadership breakdown. If this sounds familiar, then do not despair. Help is at hand. I encourage you to check out Leaders, a veterinary-specific leadership training program where you will learn how to create and execute on a shared vision, how to hire well, and build a powerful, high-performance practice culture without all the drama. The class is accredited, delivered online, and open for applications now. To learn more, listen to a free training webinar, or apply, visit vetexinternational.com forward slash leaders. Okay, welcome back to the show. I hope you enjoyed part one. Let's get into some more meaty content to help you grow your practice in part two. I want to totally want to dig into the corporations. Right before that, I want to ask, what are the things that applicants were being offered that you're like, there's just no way we can match. And so you have to start thinking about what are our differentiators? I mean, because money is one thing and people will stay at jobs for a long time if it pays well, but if there's other problems with it, Maybe eventually. Right. So what were the things that were grabbing that were sort of enticing these people away from your practice? I think the biggest thing is the payment on the student loans, right? 40,000, 50,000. I get it. I mean, that's really, really attractive. And that's a yeah. big stress where you know people want to be veterinarians. I'll do whatever. They sign all the documents and then you know they come to graduate and they have a lot of stresses, but certainly, oh my gosh, I have to pay this back very shortly. And that is a very enticing one. Certainly salary being another one, you know, benefits, you know, what is the healthcare coverage and, and disability and 401k match. And I think we're doing well, we're trying to rev that up and compete, but uh, mm -hmm. it makes a lot of sense. But on the flip side, as I tell every new grad, I'm like, that mentorship is everything though. That's gotta be your number one priority because I certainly had classmates of my own that did not receive the proper mentorship and now they're out of the profession or they're just not fulfilling their full potential just yeah. never they're kind of just referring everything you know they're not taking any chances because they never got that encouragement to take those growth steps and so i know corporations get it and they have it but they're so spread thin and i have never trained a new grad I've never myself to this day, but I think I'm at the point I'm ready for it. And, and, and you know, certainly the right candidate, I think I have a lot to offer. And certainly if, if I'm, you know, if I'm your boss, my, I, I, I have a huge investment in, 
and your productivity as well too. So, and I think that's the big thing that new grads need to consider above all else. And, you know, maybe you can take the money later on, but you got to get your fee well and get that mentorship. And maybe it is at the corporate level. It, it could be, but that doesn't always work out that way. Right. So, right. How many universities in the state of Michigan have veterinary programs? Is it one, two? Still just Michigan State. Still just, just Michigan yeah. State. Okay. Yeah. And how close is that to you? Somebody drives it. Uh, like an hour 15. Okay. So, I mean, nobody would want to live in the college town and then commute, or maybe some people have and commute all the way to you. But that does seem much more local. So if people decide either they grew up in Michigan or they like Michigan, Right. I mean, we're in the Detroit area, so we're in a heavily populated area. So a lot of people, if they grew up in Michigan or they're from here, you know, even I'm sure I have no idea exactly how much, but I have to believe every hundred students Michigan State graduates, a decent chunk of that grew up in the Detroit area, you know, and if they choose to return home, this is where we're at. I can't imagine being like in the Upper Peninsula where, I mean, how many <laughs> applicants do you get? It's got to right. be... And I do have a friend who, who is a practice owner up there herself and took her a few years to get back. That's her home where she grew up. And, uh, but yeah, you just, yeah, that that's far and few between. So. What has it been like? So you mentioned, are the staff members pre COVID a couple of years ago, has your culture or your overall staff morale, has it, really been shaken or in these big steps you've taken about, Hey, if they want to adjust to this new four day, there's ways we can work around this and that things are staying stable. Or does it feel like people are so overall you're just, does it feel like people are good or nope? These two years were rough. We're still rebuilding. It's a great question. I think it's a, it's a little bit of a mixture. I mean, I, I think the staff appreciates these changes because of our demand and inflation, yeah. certainly their uh, income has gone up and beating inflation even, even above the 7%, I'd say. That's a good thing. I'm happy because certainly the veterinary support staff as a whole has been terribly underpaid for decades. Yeah. I, I don't think there's much argument in that. And we're kind of now in the last years been able to bring it up to par. And I'm really happy about that. Certainly on the flip side, you know, you have to pass it on to the owners as well too. I don't think price as much is an angry point right now with most clients. It's just meeting their demands. I mean, people in general are just kind of losing their minds. And so I think the good thing is they're making more, we're making some improvements in their hours, but dealing with the public it has gotten worse these last two years. And it's the support staff that has to deal with that. So, I mean, I just, I have one staff member every day who almost, no, we can't see you or trying to triage or and it's very upsetting where sometimes they're put to tears and uh, I feel terrible, but I don't have time. Or if I did, I would just say, come in. <laughs> <laughs> you would be the wrong person. You would just say, I, right. just come I, in, just come I'm in. We'll not, stay until I am midnight. totally taken out of scheduling now. I And I'm 99% good with that where I just, I, I don't even listen. Or I, even if I hear something, I just say, Andy, just keep working, don't say anything because I can't burn them out. You know, I can't, right. everyone can go at a very high level, but I can't always expect and go my level. Maybe my level sometimes is too much and I need someone to check me. And I, I acknowledge that too, but they're the ones that have to deal with angry, those clients. And it's like three out of 
30, right? And, and so I keep telling staff and even for myself, because it does sometimes come to me and it is upsetting. And I'm like, we let's focus on those 27. They were very appreciative of those cards or the, the food they buy us. Or the, I mean, there are so many good ones, but it's those three rotten apples a day that gets us down. And I acknowledge it, it can start getting to me too. And I'm like, let's just focus on the 27. So maybe it's hard. I mean, I don't know how people in their mind, I mean, I feel like these psychologists have done tests where they say it takes X amount of positive experiences to get over one X of negative. And if you have a whole day of positivity, but there's one terrible conversation or one person who's yelling or one terrible, horrible outcome, it does. It sort of bleeds out yeah. everywhere. Yep. Have you had to pay more attention to that in the past couple of years? There's a lot of talk about mental health and emotional well-being. It sounds like there's some instances where you've said, hey, we need to slow down a little bit because we don't want to burn people out and recognizing that. Have there been any other ways that this kind of stress on everybody and the, just the high demand was kind of, it just never relents. Have anything different at your practices in the past couple of years? Yes. Yeah. Mental health is, is a big deal. I, I certainly have, you know, several staff members that just be honest, flat out worried about, you know, and yeah. I think we, you know, we talk to them, we do everything we can. And I don't think it all got created two years ago. It's just been magnified more. And it is those that you're right. I mean, it could be a great day. And then just that one angry client and you could see it impact them more than others. And what do you do? You know, like it's, it's hard to, hard to hundred percent protect as well too. So it's a big issue where we just signed on with a company that offers a lot of counseling and mm -hmm. for first the staff as well. So they're coming in our next meeting next week, two weeks, two in two weeks just to let the staff know about the services and all pretty, and it was, it's not a big cost really overall, but we're trying, you know, just trying to, to be there, but how involved do you get? I am lucky that I have a partner that she's just, she's more in that bubble. I have to say. And I mean, she has taken phone calls on a midnight on a Sunday to go to someone's house before something worse happened, you know, yeah. and then I don't hear about it for three weeks. <laughs> until after the fact. And, and I thank her a lot for that. You know, she just, but that's kind of, she's better at it. You know, she's just more open with, you know, just has that open door and not, not say I don't, but I just, maybe I'm not as approachable in that degree at least. And so, but also she has a life too, you know, and I'm like, gee, you know, just to get that call or whatever, to drop things, that's, um, it's pretty awesome, but it, you got to think about yourself too, because it takes a toll as well. So what is looking forward from here? So if you have a business plan or an expansion plan, or boy, this is the thing I'm really looking forward. You mentioned one of them, which was, hey, it seems like maybe things could be under control enough where I could have a little more flexibility when I want to go be with the family and see the kids and, and get that more. Is there anything else business-wise you're thinking, oh, I'm going to work on this in the next year, five years? Yeah, well, we uh, at the bigger practice, we need more parking. <laughs> we, <laughs> more parking. Know and, you know, it was interesting, right? Like a week before things shut down two years ago, I had a contractor in to not expand the building, but we, we have a very big lobby and we have exam rooms. But one of them is the quiet euthanasia room. And it's a nice euthanasia room. So it's not really, we typically don't try to outfit it for you know, with um, otoscopes and, and ophthalmoscopes, things like that. But um, 
you know, if there's really overflow, we fill in there, but was trying to get, create two more exam rooms. And then, but then COVID happened, things shut down. And then, yeah. and then we were curbside, right? So then all of a sudden the parking lot was those two exam rooms. So it just like, oh, we don't need this, but now things are, everyone's actually just, it's been, we're only in our second week of fully having everyone just come in regardless. Yeah. We knew it was coming. We were kind of like 50, 50, but then a, um, cat it was just it was a vaccine booster and the technician went out to get the cat carrier and saw that it wasn't put together well and she put it down and the whole top was just off and the cat got out and the owner was just belligerent upset and it was a snowy night and i'm it's like six seven at night and i have two hours of phone calls and finally they get a hold of me they're like you got to get out here and i'm back in the neighborhood and this owner is just just yelling and swearing at us get away but what are you going to do and yeah i just spent two hours just circling that neighbor i know i'm not going to get this cat <laughs> but i'm just walking in circles in the back neighborhood for two hours showing her that i cared i guess and finally she calmed down and then even to the point i shouldn't have said those things to your staff and i'm like you're right i gotta go apologize okay and then finally it took two hours where i could say hey We'll work on the social media side. We'll post a lot of these people back here know us, but trust me, there's just these are small fenced in yards and there's a lot of things where he's probably hiding right now. I'm like, if you want, maybe you can come out at midnight when it's a lot quieter. And I go, I think that's the best thing we can do. And I'm sorry. And, and she accepted that game plan. And sure enough, went back at midnight and got him and found him. Holy them. crap. And, uh, but it, my point being, what was funny then is I, I already have probably a four month scheduled appointment with her dog with me two nights later. And I see her, I'm like, oh, hey. And she totally different tune, very thankful, very happy. Uh, She's like, I hurt my knee. She had a knee brace on. And I'm like, well, yeah, you were jumping fences. Like, you, I was like, you had an out of body experience. <laughs> You're running in people's garages. I was afraid for you and uh and yeah you and, and i get it you know like I, I don't know what i would do if my indoor cat got out and, I, and who was generally a scared cat you know i get it and uh but anyways after that i'm like we're done with curbside <laughs> it's like i spent two, two hours walking in the snow yelling out captain jack and uh just saying okay this is it <laughs> we're, we're done <laughs> so that was like done with curbside but i will tell you the thing about that story that makes me so happy is i think people right now I think people who work in businesses and people who go into businesses are on triggers. And I don't think anything that could be said in five, 10 or 15 minutes when something big blows up, I don't think it can make the emotions go away. I mean, so you observed this long hang time where it took hours until the person had calmed down. And I think all of us out there running around the world, bouncing off each other and exploding the only way you could come back around and circle back to, okay, the emotions are out of my system and I'm thinking clearly again, like there's just no time for that. So I, I don't know this story, like it was a huge amount of time you walking around knowing you're not going to find that cat. I like it worked out for the cat and worked out for the person, but I especially like right. the person, even though they hadn't found the cat yet, their brain had calmed down and they'd started. Right. Yeah. That initial emotion, which had flooded them had been given time to pass. Right. And she, she even acknowledged, yeah, the carry wasn't put, you know, initially your technician messed up. She dropped it and it broke, you know, it was blaming us. And even before she found the cat acknowledged, took responsibility. And, and I think it helped that, you know, it, it was me, my, the practice manager and, and another staff member were out there quite a bit. I mean, and I think just showing we cared 
you know, helped dissipate those emotions as well too. So yeah, I'm glad it worked out as well, certainly. And I, I've heard much more. We, we did have a dog that got hit. We were on a busy road and jumped over the technician's shoulder in the fall and ran out into the busy road and got hit. Um, oh. Luckily, a non-displaced fracture, young dog, and just splinted it for a few months. Owner, very understanding. I wasn't there that day and just called. I'm like, oh, oh no. <laughs> but saw it in one of the rechecks. The owner was very gracious. And hey, things happen. And so that worked out. But yeah, uh, you know, I, I certainly... Pets have been lost due to curbside methods. I've heard of that in lawsuits and this and that. And, and just, yeah, it's, I don't know. It's just been a crazy two years, you know, no malice. It's just, well, did what we thought was best at the time. Maybe it was best at the time, you know, too, certainly. But yeah, crazy times. So want to reach out to Dr. Rollo? Email him at Rollo, R-O-L-L-O dot William at Yahoo.com. That wraps up today's episode of the Veterinary Business Success Show. It was an honor to share it with you. If you enjoyed it, we would love it if you leave a review on iTunes or wherever you listen to podcasts and tell your friends in veterinary medicine about us. Want a little more? You are in luck. An extended version of this podcast is available exclusively to our leaders community. You can learn more at vetxinternational.com. And until next time, I just want you to know, I appreciate you.